0: Welcome aboard the battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I am David Bax, and thank you for listening, David. Yes. How you doing? Uh,
1: the Blues are up two to nothing. Oh, thank God. People who listened to the uh, movie journal the other day mm-hmm. um, will be we, uh, be like, "How
0: long is this game going?" <laughs> <laughs> it was just uh, uh, nil nil for uh, for several days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, no, I'm doing well. Okay. Well, that's good. Yeah, that's a load off. You had something you wanted to
1: talk about. I did. I'm braced for it. You said it was going to be.
0: I can't use a dark kind of dark. Yeah. Was, um, yeah, but not, okay. not necessarily. It's more just, uh, so last week when we were talking about, um, uh, Brody, um, you know, we were talking about the you know, about depression and suicide and that kind of thing. And, and I, there was, there was some stuff I wanted to, to say in regards to that, but I couldn't really think of exactly what to say. Um, and then I kind of put something out on, on Twitter that is, that is similar to it, but I wanted to, to say it here. Um, which is, uh, I mean, I am, I myself am no stranger to depression and then listeners are more than one lesson know that I've had my, uh, suicidal thoughts and tendencies and stuff in the past. And so I did want to, you know, people often say, and you mentioned it last week that like, Hey, if you, if you're feeling like this, like seek out help from people and that kind of thing. And and so I kind of just wanted to say something that's that's an extension of that, something that uh, I have needed to be reminded of by many people in my own life, which is that it, it, if you are feeling suicidal it's a, probably a good bet that you uh are depressed mm-hmm. um or either dealing with depression in the moment or you know there's a larger thing going on and so uh i wanted to just very briefly talk about depression if you're somebody who is deals- it possible
1: to be suicidal without being depressed like when I, it rains I feel when it's sunny
0: out exactly yeah yeah it's weird it's just you know maybe some people do it on a lark <laughs> like you know what would be funny right now um what no one would see coming um but uh but yeah i do i do um want to just very briefly mention something to people who do have depression which is that uh and I, and i don't want to speak in too broad uh, a sense but i will say that uh the nature of depression is that you can't always trust your perception of the situation Um, you know Jen has had to remind me that a lot of the stuff that sounds very very right to me is in fact uh, a lie which is to say it is simply untrue Uh, but the nature of depression is that it it sounds 100% correct Uh, when I assume that none of my friends actually like me or that everybody is simply tolerating me or whatever it is there's really when in the in the clear light of day, you're like, that's ridiculous. At least there's statistically this many people would not hang out with me right. if they didn't like me. one yeah. or two. OK, maybe, but probably not as many as as do. Um And so, uh, and so words like worthless and valueless and that kind of thing pop into my head and, and it's, and it's, and it's very hard to deal with because again, it feels like not only does it feel true, it feels like the only true thing that you know. And so I want to try to remind you that in those moments, if you are feeling that it is the furthest thing from the truth and the one person that is that you are listening to is the person you shouldn't be listening to which is yourself mm-hmm. i'm not saying doubt yourself all the time but when you have those those dark thoughts it's tough and it takes a certain degree of discipline to remind yourself that that this this thing which feels provable uh is in fact a complete delusion in that moment. And so, uh, and what I said in my tweet is that if you are having a hard time reminding yourself of that and convincing yourself of that, other people will be more than happy to help remind you of that. And of course the real hell of it is that in that moment you probably feel like, well, I'm not going to reach out to anybody because the last thing they want to do is help me. And that itself is a lie. So just, just think about if anybody else said this stuff to you, Whether it be the abusive shit that you think to yourself or if someone else said, yeah, you know, uh, I don't think any of my friends like me. You would be able to see very clearly that they are wrong, but you won't think that you're wrong. And so I'm saying try to think as objectively as you can and recognize that your perception at that particular moment, when you're really in the depths of it, can't really can't be trusted and and, you know, it is important. It's it's very important to seek out other people, mm-hmm. but I realize that there's going to be an immediate block once once you think to do that. Yeah, I always wonder,
1: <clears throat> like the outpouring that came after Brody uh, died, and then just. Uh, we've lost another celebrity to apparent suicide this week, Keith Flint, the vocalist from The Prodigy, hmm. uh, you know, the Firestarter yeah, uh, yeah. group. Yeah, he uh, uh, he passed away this past week, apparently, an uh, apparent suicide. Mm-hmm. And, and again, a huge outpouring. And I wonder if that would, if knowing that would have changed their minds? Like, do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I I don't know. But like, obviously those are famous people, so not everyone uh, who, who passes away is going to have, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I'm trying to think of famous musicians and comedians, right. Uh, mourning you, but it's, it seems like there's proof after every time someone commits suicide that yeah. a lot of people cared about them, you yeah. know? Um, I mean, yeah, I've been to a couple of funerals from people from suicides. They are, yeah, very well attended by people who are very sad, you know? And uh, I, I don't know if this is part of it, but I, I always wonder that after suicide, like if they knew how many of us cared and were moved and were brought to tears and are in our own kind of pain because we don't get to see our friends anymore or or the, or the artists um, that enrich our lives anymore. Would they have believed this would happen? And if so, would it have changed things?
0: Yeah. I mean, I definitely, uh, one of my earliest memories, um, and even then it, it was kind of a vague memory and my parents confirmed it, uh, later is that, uh, when I was six, my uncle killed himself and I was just old enough to kind of understand what that meant. And apparently I said something, I feel like maybe this explains some things, but, uh, apparently I said in the car, like on the way to the funeral that like I should have been paying closer attention. I should have noticed that, uh, he was going to do this. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that idea of when people like, Oh, I wish I could have done something that is that sentiment. When someone kills themselves, that sentiment is universal. There have been a lot of there have been a number of suicides in my family. There are people that I there are there have been friends, uh, acquaintances that have killed themselves. And invariably, the people they leave behind say, I wish I could have done something. So in the moment when you're in the thick of it and you think nobody would want to do anything, I am telling you 100 percent that is not true at all. I have never I've never run across anybody who said like, well, we did what we could. You know, uh-huh. it's it's not that. It's never a shrug. It's always a yearning. And and so those people are yearning to help you. So if you are in a place of depression, you know, just to, and this is, again, I don't mean to act as though these steps are simple. They're not. They're incredibly difficult. Um, the people in your life are yearning and eager to help you and remind you of what's actually true because In that moment, you cannot be trusted to know what's true and what isn't. All right. So I know that's weird, uh, but it was on my mind. No, I I think it's definitely
1: worth saying, but it is. It does feel weird to go into this episode is sponsorships (laughs) from here. I Um, I don't know if we have any kind of buffer that we can talk about here. I don't know. You want to see how the blues are if they've scored again? Yes, absolutely. Um, Let's see. Uh, yeah, they have scored again. There's not three to nothing the two periods. Oh my gosh, uh, my yeah, precious my L.A. Rules.
0: Kings! There is no hope, <laughs> no hope. What is the point of going on? Um, okay,
1: well you know what's the point of going on? Some, <laughs> we've got some great things to tell
0: you about. Exactly. If there's <laughs> reason worth to living live. for, it is money. Uh, oh no, I meant movie. <laughs> oh, oh I mispronounced movie. <laughs> um, yes. Okay. So this episode, thank you everybody for indulging me. This episode is brought to you by Movie, a curated streaming service showing exceptional films from around the globe. Every day, Movie premier, premieres a new film. Whether it's a timeless classic, a cult favorite, or an acclaimed masterpiece, a movie you've been dying to see, or one you've never seen, uh, never even heard of before, there are always 30 different films to discover. <coughs> With movie each and every film is hand-selected, so you'll never spend more time looking for something great to watch than actually watching something great. It's like your own personal film festival, streaming anytime, anywhere. Currently available on Mubi are a couple of films by uh, German auteur Christian Petzold, uh, Barbara from 2012, and Phoenix from 2014. I've not seen either film. You have seen both.
1: Yes, but I haven't yet seen his newest film, Transit, which is literally out in theaters. I've heard great things about it. So so have I. Um, But yeah, uh, Barbara and Phoenix uh, both star... Nina Haas, okay. who's great in, in both movies. Uh, they both sort of, uh, discuss trying to, uh, maintain a sense of a moral self in the midst of something terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh Phine- or, sorry, Barbara, uh, which I think is my favorite of his films, um, is about a, um, woman trying to escape to West Germany during, oh, okay. during the cold war. Um, while her friend is, she's, she's a doctor and she's stationed at a hospital near the border and just kind of like waiting for her friends in the West to come help her escape. Mm. But in the meantime, she's, caring for patients and developing, yeah. you know, relationships with people. Uh, it's really great. Um, uh, Phoenix on the hand is a little bit more of a, a little more high concept in that. It's about a woman who, uh, comes back from, she survived the concentration camps It's immediately after, um, mm-hmm. the, uh, after world war two, she was shot in the face and left for dead in the concentration camp. And that's right. Okay. Has, facial reconstruction surgery that makes her unrecognizable, and so she goes and, like, essentially befriends her husband as a different woman because he doesn't recognize her.
0: Yes. I remember you describing this, and I immediately started making jokes about... Enjoying pina coladas and getting caught in the rain. That this idea. (laughs) (laughs) I know it's not a one-to-one comparison, but that story, (laughs) it it, it reminded me of that.
1: Yeah. It it doesn't have the same uh, ending as the pina colada (laughs) song. I'm sorry to tell you. Oh, um, but yeah, he, uh, they're, they're both, I think Barbara's a really terrific movie. Nina Haas is great in both movies. Transit's supposed to be great. Check out these
0: Christian Petzold movies is what I'm trying to tell you. Exactly. And you can try MUBI free for 30 days. Just go to MUBI.com slash Battleship. That's MUBI.com slash Battleship for a whole month of great cinema for free.
1: And I want to tell you about tweakedaudio.com. You see, tweakedaudio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great, they sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Um, I usually use this to this part to say, "Here's something good I was listening to," but here's what I'm going to say. I have, I think, when it comes to movies, I feel very confident in my opinion to the point where I'm willing to. You know, if I don't like something, I'm going to say I don't like it. I think with music, I've always had a little bit of imposter syndrome where sometimes I'm like, oh, everybody likes this thing. and I don't get it. Am I dumb? You know, and it took me a long time up until a couple of years ago to realize that I don't like pavement. I've never liked pavement. Okay. I've tried for years to like pavement and I don't like any of the solo work of Stephen Malcolmus either. And, uh, Stephen Malcolm's had a new song that I listened to this morning and, uh, yeah, it didn't do it for me. Just like every other Stephen Malcolm song doesn't do it for me, but it sounded great. The sound quality was perfect on my yeah.
0: dot earbuds. Yeah. If you were going to like it, yeah, this, those were the different. best possible circumstances. Yeah.
1: So the tweet, these tweaked, tweaked audio.com earbuds are available at a low, low price uh and i'm sorry did I, did I say this i'll mention all the stylish styles and colorful colors you might have there's yes. multiple stylish styles multiple colorful colorful colors they're available at a low low price at tweaked but if you use the offer code pretension uh at checkout that's s i o n at the end people sometimes put a t uh pretension at checkout uh you get one third off that low low price and no shipping charges so go to tweaked and use the offer code pretension
0: Now, before we get into it, uh-huh. um I wanted to mention uh, the Patreon before we I didn't want to necessarily do it at the end uh, oh, okay. because our I, most I was going to do it at the end. <laughs> I know, but uh, honestly, I feel like a lot I, I don't trust people to stay with us all the way to the end. Um like once once announcements start, I was listening to our friend uh Jim Roner as he was talking about uh uh the Harold Lloyd film The Freshman and he was talking about uh he 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 put the announcements at the beginning of that episode because he said he was like, "I don't listen to this stuff at the end," and really? so maybe you don't either. And so, yeah, I listen uh, to everything. Good for you. I usually cut off uh, usually about uh, twenty five minutes before a show's over. Um, I also,
1: if I'm watch, if I'm binge watching a show, I watch the opening titles every time. Oh, sure. I don't skip or fast forward to the opening titles. Although a lot of newer shows don't even really have opening titles. But not like, really. You know, I, I mentioned, um, that my wife and I recently rewatched all this, the Sopranos. We listened to that a three woke up this morning song every single time. Why wouldn't you? Cause it's fun that to sing along awesome. to too. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
0: Um, incidentally.
1: <laughs> that's the little sound <laughs> that it
0: makes. How does that go again? <laughs> right. Bad. What's that? Is that an ambulance <laughs> ambulance in France? <laughs> ambulance in France. Um, but, uh, have we ever done an episode about uh, like opening titles? I feel like we had to have, right? Like title sequences for movies. Yeah, I don't know if we have. We should. We should. We should, we should get somebody who knows what they're talking about. Uh, that's true. Yes, yeah. <laughs> because having watched Alien twice uh, oh, yeah. in, in a couple of days, um, that's that's a great opening sequence. Uh, opening yeah. title sequence.
1: Yeah. Um, how many movies even really have like standalone opening title? Like these days, the trend is like the main title at the end and yeah. I mean, you get a bit like a you get something <laughs> something stylized there but the idea yeah. of like we have like a tv show like there's a cold open and then yeah. there's the opening or even just not a cold open just an opening title sequence mm-hmm. like seven has an opening title sequence it's it pretty does. cool yeah psycho um, has one yeah although i also feel like that seven opening title sequence has been ripped off by so many like music videos and stuff sure. at the time that it probably sure. doesn't
0: feel as fresh but it was cool at the time yeah it's uh something to to think about um as because i it just uh, i just thought of it um oh yeah so the patreon uh so our most recent patreon episode is one that is going over well uh in which we talk about our individual top five of 1970 yeah Uh, a thing that we are going to be doing uh every once in a while is we're going to pick a year at random and we're going to talk about our five favorite movies from that year.
1: And I think, yeah, we did, we literally used the randomizer to pick the thing. And I think think we got really lucky. I think it was lucky to start off with a nice round year. Yeah. And also to start off with a year that we had no overlap.
0: Yeah. Which was crazy. I, I definitely think we will have probably major overlap. Yes. Because I, I, after that, just for fun,
1: randomized, uh, and came up in 1956. And, like, there's plenty of movies that I'm looking forward
0: to talking to about in 1956, but Ed, four of my five are probably on your list, too. Yeah. Oh, it's I definitely feel like that about, uh, like, 57 and 58 as well. Like, it's just, I do think, and I mentioned this in the, in the episode, that, like, the further you go back, the fewer, or the further I go back, the fewer movies I see from any given year. The movies I tend to see are the ones that everyone says, you gotta see it. And so... I would say that you and most movie people of a certain age are probably that way as well. Yes, you can occasionally like do a deep cut, which is mm-hmm. great, but for the most part it's like, Yeah, all right, fifty-eight. Yeah, okay. Uh, vertigo, touch of <laughs> sure, evil, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. So uh but yeah, I think seventy was good, partially because both, the, the films that you and I both talked about really epitomized 1970 as like this transitional year where the 60s aren't quite over, but people are starting to understand the impact, both positive and negative, of the 1960s as we trans- transition into the 70s. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the movies that both of us talked about fall under those that category. So, anyway. Yeah. Well,
1: if you subscribe to the Patreon, you already know all this. And if you don't, you're missing out, man. Yeah. Uh, lots of good co- content.
0: Uh, I'm be- I am very proud of our Patreon so far. Yeah, me too.
1: All right, let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Um, David, what are we talking about today? We're talking about uh, Steven Spielberg being... Uh, old and out of touch and standing in the way of progress but not to to tip my uh, (laughs) tip my hand is where I fall on this Uh, but no uh, Steven Spielberg uh, great film director I feel like I have to say that weirdly because a lot of the online discourse has been hey This guy's made a lot of good movies. And it's like, yeah, I know. He's one of the best. He's he's the only
0: director everybody knows the name of. (laughs) The only one.
1: Yeah. Um, Yeah, he's made a lot of good movies. I didn't see Ready Player One. I feel like there's a lot of like, oh, nobody who made Ready Player One gets to... It's like, I don't know. That's not not the point. Let's talk about... Yeah, they can't all be winners. Let's talk about what he said, not the fact that he's made a ton of great movies and some stinkers. Um... Uh, which is that he wants the Academy to change its rules um, so that the Netflix model wouldn't, uh, as it stands now, wouldn't qualify for Oscars. Right. Uh, he wants a longer exclusive theatrical window, I think is what it was, um, whereas some Netflix movies, I think, played for two or three weeks Right. Uh, before... Um, he wants a longer exclusive theatrical window before it
0: shows up on Netflix. Mm. Um, he essentially wants like the Amazon model for Netflix.
1: Y- yeah. And, um, you know, I think, and I've said this before that I hope that I have the self-awareness to not be like Steven, Steven Spielberg as I get older to mm. understand when things are changing and when I'm, uh, you, you can't be prescriptive. If, right. if, the Oscar, the Academy were to adopt these rules, they would be delegitimizing themselves more mm-hmm. than delegitimizing movies because the, the, the cows out of the barn or whatever, uh, the cats out of the bag. There we go. Um,
0: that's more like a secret has been told. Yeah.
1: Uh, yeah. The toothpaste is out of the tube. There maybe, it is. is the one i for. Um, uh, like people think of Netflix movies as movies at yeah. this point. Um, and so if you come to some year where one of the most popular movies of the year, both from just a viewership standpoint and from a critical standpoint is a Netflix movie. And then it's completely shot out of Oscar contention that, Like I said, that only serves to delegitimize the Oscars, which obviously giving best picture to Green Book did plenty of that on its own. Yeah.
0: But um, yeah, uh, they got They need every bit they can get.
1: Yeah, exactly. um, As far as what qualifies. So I feel like what Steven Spielberg is doing is is pointless. It's just him
0: being out of touch. So here's what I'll say is that I think you nailed it when you said you can't be prescriptive. I get where he's coming from. Like why Like, I watched Roma on Netflix and granted living in Los Angeles, there were theaters I could have gone to. Yeah. You it's know, easier. I also it's, watched it at home. I yeah. don't care. Uh, and as I was watching it, like I did, I, I don't necessarily love the movie, but it's beautiful. And I was just like, I wish that I had watched this in the theater. I didn't, but I also, I didn't feel that way. I'm not sure that I've ever felt that way. Oh, really? Yeah. I have watched enough. I, I've gone to see enough movies in the theater that I had first seen, even even uh, on a nice like widescreen, uh, Blu-ray. Like, I mean, I've seen like what, what was it? Uh, like, I by the time I saw Jaws in the theater, yeah. I had seen it many many times on video, Blu-ray, and then I saw it in the theater, and I thought like, and it's not like this is the way. I, well, I did kind of think this is the way it was supposed to be seen, but it's also like. I just... It just felt different. I was no. noticing different things. I'm not saying that, like... Yeah,
1: I'm not uh, I'm not blind... I'm not ignorant to that. There have been times I've seen movies in the theater that I'd seen before and been like, this is a right. whole new experience. But I'm just saying I've never sat... I've never been sat in front of my TV watching a movie going, damn, I wish I were watching this on a bigger screen. I've never
0: had that. Well, like, so at the, at this very moment, my wife and her dad are in my living room watching Free Solo. Okay. And... I was in there, and we were talking very briefly, um, and I said, I said, oh, I saw this in the theater on IMAX, and Jen was like, oh, like, it just, that's a movie sure. that definitely, and, when you mention in the theater on IMAX, like, yeah. people get a much bigger sense of what you're talking about, so, like, I get what Spielberg is, is talking about, the idea of film, certainly, when he was coming up like uh was this big theatrical and kind of a communal experience um and it was i think it required more of the audience at the very least you leave your house and go to it but now it's becoming now it's becoming just as not mundane, that's not it. That's not the word. And not even common, but just as casual, I guess, as just turning on your TV and trying out this thing. And and if you don't like it, you can just switch to the next thing. Whereas if you go to see a movie and you don't like it, you'll, you're probably more likely to stick with it because you've paid your money. Um, so I yeah, see where he's coming from I, about like the experience. He's free to mourn that. Yeah, absolutely. But you can't change the tide. And that's the other thing, is that... Corone, he made Roma knowing it was going to be on Netflix. Mm-hmm. And so when the director himself is... When, the, when he knows it's going to be on a smaller screen and he's we you know we could give him the benefit of the doubt and say that he directed his film with that in mind, knowing that yes it can, it's going to play on some big screens, and I'm sure it'll do fine, but I am directing this with this smaller screen in mind, and so I don't think these days I don't think Spielberg or anybody else could even really make the argument that that the movie is losing something, especially once the directors now know that that is how their film is going to be seen primarily when they are making Mm -hmm. it. And so, yeah, it's, yeah, I don't at all begrudge him that frustration because I think it's a frustration that I have as well. Um, in the sense that I think the theatrical experience, the, the very reason I may not want to see a movie in the theater is because of other people. Yeah. But the, the very same thing that causes that experience in my opinion or partially uh is that people have become so accustomed to watching stuff at home that i think they feel a certain degree of not entitlement uh it's the it's that's the word i'll use it's not ideal but it's the only one i can think of they feel a certain degree of entitlement which is like movies are now the thing that they have on while they're doing what they're going to do whether it be play something on their phone or talk with friends and so when they go out to a movie i feel like now it's more just like well it's a bigger version of what i do at home and so i do think that like these two things just become cyclical people don't want to see stuff or people like me i don't want to see something in the theater which means i stay at home which makes it even for me, there are times like when I went to see Lego movie part two, I happened to be the only person in the theater and I'll be honest, I checked my email a couple of times. Oh, like instinctively I wasn't even thinking about it. And, and only once I got my phone out, what, did I think like, what am I doing? And I wasn't worried. And yeah. it wasn't about distracting other people. It was about just, I'm not totally in this experience. My yeah. mind is drifting to this other screen in my pocket, but well, my phone's fully off. Good when I'm in a movie theater. Good
1: for you. Yeah. <laughs>
0: what, what's that? Well, aren't you
1: something? <laughs> <laughs> um, we didn't... Really, the, the point of this episode was not really to debate uh, what Steven Spielberg said, but I guess it was inevitable that we were going to get into into
0: that. And I don't... Honestly, um, that, that's the thing. I don't think it's a debate either. <clears throat> I mean, I guess there there is one to be had, but I feel like, yeah, it's... This isn't going away.
1: Yeah. And I feel about this the same way I tend to get annoyed with people who are like celluloid purists sure. is that whether it's intentional or not there ends up being a lot of uh gatekeeperism, mm-hmm. exclusivity, elitism yeah. to saying you have to see this movie, you have to see movies this way. Yeah. You know, uh I'm generally in favor
0: of what gets the most movies in front of the most people's eyes that I think is there is a democratization which is always a good thing there are people you know you and I were gonna have access to Roma either way because we live in Los Angeles right but because and because the Netflix model everyone had access to Roma
1: Um, yes but I don't I also don't want to sound like I'm singing the praises of Netflix specifically because right They do plenty of things that, you know, the way they bury movies uh, sometimes Mm -hmm. really, really bothers me. You know, I feel like Private Life could have been an acting Oscar uh, contender and a writing Oscar contender, um, but it just sort of got swallowed up. Um, So, yeah, I don't want to sound like I'm defending Netflix in particular. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying that Steven Spielberg's way of thinking uh, is out of date. And if I'm honest, it gets under my skin a little bit. Uh, Because I do think there's an elitism to it, even if that's not
0: what he's intending. Right. But intent only means so much. Again, the attitude doesn't bother me. It's when you start to act on it and limit others. Because when it becomes, as you said, when it becomes prescriptive, that's when it becomes an issue for me. And part of me wonders, like, well it doesn't seem to be bothering Scorsese who has a movie coming out on Netflix that he has, a, that apparently a lot, they've poured a lot of money into. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, two guys from very much the, the same school of, of filmmaking. Uh, uh and, uh, this is going to sound mean. I feel like Scorsese with silence and the Wolf of Wall Street, I think he's every bit the vital filmmaker that he was, okay spielberg i think is not and so i feel like there's just a general attitude within scorsese in general to just kind of roll with the punches and just embrace hey this is an opportunity to get to yeah. get a new audience or whatever
1: well meanwhile you know scorsese does more for actual film like preservation yeah. and, and restoration and archiving and stuff than uh almost anyone in at, at his level in the business so he yeah yeah uh yeah, hooray for Martin Scorsese, is what I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, but that's not what I wanted to talk about. Okay. Uh, specific, I, I wanted specifically to talk about the question of what is a movie. Um, because I find, I started thinking. think, I, I mean, I've thought about this a lot, but like Steven Spielberg, in a pre-Netflix world, I tended to think of made-for-TV movies as a different thing than a movie movie. But now two Sundances in a row, I've seen movies that were made as movies and displayed on a big screen that then got picked up by HBO and right. it was The Tale last year and then Native Sun this year are going to, for most people, they're going to be, you know, made for TV. You think of an HBO movie as a made-for-TV movie. Yeah. So to what extent should I be going back into history and saying, like, you no, know, The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, that's a movie. You know, it might have been made for TV, but it's... It's a movie because, and so I, so how do we define a movie? Is it because it's a, it's self contained, whereas a TV series is serialized? But then how do you account for serialized, you know, like Hunger Games, Mocking Jay part one and part two? Sure. Do those suddenly not
0: become movies because they're not standalone? Yeah. I mean, it definitely, the, I think the lines are ble- being blurred. Um, which is, I'm, I don't think that that's necessarily good or bad. Uh, I think it's neutral, but I also don't think it means you have to, uh, what is it? Re- uh, retcon. I don't think you need to like, uh, retroactively go back and say, Oh, RKO Two Eighty One was one of my favorite movies of, of 1999. Like, okay. That but- was an HBO movie and I'm perfectly <coughs> fine. Like that's one that was, that was made knowing it was going to be on the small screen. And so I'm comfortable thinking of that as a different entity.
1: But go, now that the lines are being blurred going forward, if there's a HBO produced made movie that comes up this year that you love, would you consider putting it on your top 10 of 2019?
0: I probably wouldn't partially because it just makes it easier to categorize. Uh-huh. Um, but that's the thing is, HBO at this point is just as much a streaming service as Netflix mm-hmm. or Amazon. And so if there's an, if there's, um you know, an a, a Netflix original film or an HBO original film, they're going to look basically the same. I'll, I'll probably watch them the same. Um, yeah. And so I guess for so many people, the, the form of a, a film, a movie, the way we've defined it is, is defined by exhibition and even then people cling in my in my opinion understandably so but maybe futilely so um cling to this idea that a movie is something you see in the theater but now that's just almost a formality so that something can be considered a movie by People like Spielberg and the Academy. Meanwhile, we're just going to keep doing what you know. That's just like a bone that they're throwing to somebody. Meanwhile, we're just going to keep doing what we have been doing, which is featuring it on people's TVs Uh, or on the internet. Because the the other thing
1: I started to think of is um, because obviously TV shows are short chapters. Movies tend to be longer, but Mm -hmm. then short movies are movies, like shorts are movies. Yeah. So in experimental shorts uh, our, our, our movies too, mm-hmm. but those are uh, more likely now to be found unless you live in a place like, uh, a film forum type of thing. Um, more likely to be seen on YouTube or Vimeo or yeah. some service like mini that. Fl- mini flicks. Um, uh, yeah, mini flicks, which I've heard is a good service. <laughs> Go listen to the movie journal. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we don't want to cross contaminate our sponsors Indeed. here. Indeed. Uh, hmm. uh, but, um, so then that got me, thinking about like, well, is a music video a movie then? <laughs> is a vlog a movie? <laughs> like, is it literally just a, th- a thing that is filmed? Is that, does that like, where do, where do we put the, the line?
0: Yeah, it's, I mean, similarly, um, you know, uh, in the National Film Reg- Registry, the uh, National Film Archive, the Zapruder film, is in there yeah you know that is not it is not long it is not a film the way every other bit of footage uh, every other film in there is um pretty important though yeah uh, so I definitely understand why they would incorporate it but they're they're filing it alongside Citizen Kane and Lawrence of Arabia and these other things um despite it being such a different type of thing yeah. and yeah it's it's something that. Um, certainly there's a conversation that that is had, that was had a fair amount uh, in grad school. Um, You know, uh, I mentioned the Zapruder tape, but people mentioned uh, the guy like in, in 19, I guess 1991 or 92. Now I don't remember. I think it was 91. um, The most compelling bit of footage that people saw was not JFK, or Beauty and the Beast, or Silence of the Lambs. It was the Rodney King beat. Oh, sure, yeah. And now the person did not think that they were making art, and they weren't really making art. Uh, they were just trying to capture something, yeah, as it was happening, so that they because they thought it would be important. It's like, well, that's not that different than any documentarian uh, the instinct isn't yeah. anyway, it's just, it's a bit more urgent and not quite so thought through. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, it really, the more you think about it, which is why, you know, you think in terms of, well, there's a short film and there's a feature length film. So it's like, all right, well that's, that's how, you know, it's, it's the, in a way they're all movies, but just so that we don't go insane, we, we, tack these other things on like it's i i think it's genuinely ridiculous that there is a foreign film oscar and a best picture oscar right but clearly the academy i don't necessarily begrudge the academy that because it is a way to honor more films and just categorize so that they can do that um in the in the same way that like every once in a while there'll be a movie that uh like i remember in 2002 um the bafta nominations came out and monster's ball did not come out in the uk oh yeah that seems until to have yeah. yeah and so it's just like wait, wait like it, it, everything seems so wrong in my mind it's like wait so now halle berry is up against like nicole kimberley for the hours like I don't even know how to think about these things together. <laughs> you know, well, I, this is why I have my very strict rules. Yeah. It's, um, uh, we, we all have kind of, we all have these very strict things and to get, to go back just a little bit, not to harp on it, but like Spielberg clearly has his, the issue there is that he wants you to have his as well, his, his rules. And so I think that's the problem. But I do think that, I do think that yes if we just need to we we desperately need to categorize things just to keep our own sanity otherwise
1: but do we need to have an agreed upon or is it a person by person doing their own like what do you think of uh um I'm trying to think I feel like there was a recent example um I don't remember what it is um Damn, there we was something a couple years ago where a bunch of people were putting something on their top ten list that was clearly not a movie.
0: Hmm, that sounds familiar. But well, now I, don't I can't remember, remember it what was it was. Now,
1: I'm sure the listeners will will remember. Oh, it was uh, Twin Peaks: The Return. That's right. Yes, right. And then someone gave uh, an example of another critic in the 1980s who put Game Six. <laughs> the famous game six that's funny on their top 10 of the year um and i both of the twin peaks thing and obviously the game game six or i think someone this someone this year put the bread kavanaugh hearings on their top 10 um I, I tend to get annoyed by that but a part of me starts is starting to think that like hey if that person considers it that then i can't stop them because i i also draw the line i'm not gonna I'm not going to consider for my top ten like some kids unboxing video on <laughs> on YouTube. Do you know what right. I mean? Yeah, yeah. But
0: who's to say that's not a movie? I do think that purpose and intention come into come into play. Okay. Um, I mean, we've seen there are there have been some pretty great commercials out there, and I do think. I mean, this gets to the concept of what is art. Uh And I think art is essentially communication and it's usually communication, which someone is attempting to either ask a question or answer a question, um, that they are that they are dealing with in life in some capacity. Even, even the, the lightest comedy is, Requires somebody's interpretation of the world that they are now communicating to you. So even if they're not actively aware that they're communicating something, of course they are. So I guess there, so there's, you know, there can be unconscious intention as well. But along those lines, I don't think there's anybody like it with a commercial. I don't think anybody involved with the commercial, anybody directing the commercial, anybody writing it feels particularly passionate about the thing that they are putting out there. Mm -hmm. It is not their interpretation of the world. It is not them trying to communicate something that is personal to them. And so like, I would not classify commercials can be amazing. They can be really uh, emotional. They can be really funny Uh, and they can be incredibly creative, but I don't, I don't classify them as as art, but that's that's my prerogative. Other people might yeah, absolutely. Th-
1: I mean I don't like uh, obviously I'm uh very punk rock and mm-hmm. uh, uh I'm resistant to advertising except definitely sign up for movie and get some earbuds at tweetard.com slash retention or offer code pretension. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but I could see making an argument for Uh, commercials as being a kind of art even if it is a kind of insidious underhanded art because Mm -hmm. I'm going to go back to the movie I saw at Sundance The Souvenir in which uh, uh, I talked about on the podcast when we did our Sundance Trap-Up and other times I think Um, Richard Ayode's character is talking about uh, Leo Tolstoy's definition of art which is I'm paraphrasing a movie that was paraphrasing Leo Tolstoy, but the idea is that uh, a person or a man in Leo Tolstoy's writing, a man has a feeling and then creates something to try to give that feeling to other people, you know? And I feel like commercials are meant to make you feel something. It's in order to get you to want to buy something you probably don't need, but they are meant to make you feel something. Whereas a telecast of a game is indifferent but you know the the game is going to end how it ends the telecast is the same which is not the same as a documentary which is edited after after the
0: fact and is therefore intended to make you have a have a feeling based on that definition though I, i i would disqualify commercials because a man has a feeling what man had a feeling with a commercial
1: the 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 guy who's on the account of the ad agency the don draper
0: he's the artist True, but the feeling he had was, "I want this money, not I like this product." But that's not what Mad Men would have you believe. <laughs> have you yeah, believe that he They're really trying to sell us something because they want that money. Um, but
1: I, but I do. St- I, I don't think it's that as simple as that. I do think that that's the ultimate end goal. But in order to get there, they are they have to tap into something. Is what you are Yeah, saying. they are d- like the. The the whole, like, uh, was it Visa or MasterCard who had the, like, this costs this much and this costs this much, and oh, yeah. it's like, an afternoon with your kid or whatever, priceless, whatever the dumb thing was. Yeah. Feeding the ducks with your daughter. Priceless. I don't know. Um, that was probably one of them. Uh. Probably, yeah. And, um, like, obviously that's just very, it's very base, it's crass, it's mm-hmm. low, but they are trying to evoke an emotion in you.
0: Whereas. Evoking if, an emotion that I, that I'm not arguing with. It is where it begins. Like again, if we want to go back to that paraphrased Tolstoy quote, a man has an emotion. And yeah, but
1: obviously in order to translate an emotion, you have to have it yourself.
0: But I think so. The ad agency
1: guy knows he feels
0: uh,
1: uh, parental love for his children Okay. He's now just soulless enough to exploit that in other people to get that paper, but
0: he still has the feeling and is trying to get it across. But I don't think he had the feeling and then went looking for a product that worked with the feeling. The product came first and he forced himself to have the feeling.
1: I'm saying that for my definition of art, that distinction doesn't make it not art. Okay. It makes it a baser, uh, less respectable form of art, but it's still art because it's still trying to give you a feeling. Okay. Um, whereas I'm not sure the direct to go, but I I don't want to keep going to a a sports telecast, but that is something that is, that's like I said, a sports telecast is indifferent. You definitely Mm. have emotions watching sports, but the the telecast is not really trying to make you feel that way. Although even then there are,
0: there's a director, there's placement of camera. Yeah. uh, So that you, so that like, Certain barriers are broken down, so yeah, that you get true. the clearest idea, so that you can have the emotion, though they are not dictating to you the emotion to have or even leading you. So, yeah, I, so that's that's part, one where that's, I don't know. I don't know if they're trying to. I don't think they're actively trying to make you feel something, but they are trying to facilitate you having whatever feeling okay. you're going to have. Yeah. So maybe that.
1: It, uh, so this is these are, all these things are movies. Then, so what about? I mentioned a vlog earlier. What is literally a guy who's like, Hey, it's been a long time since i rapped at you, but here's uh, what's (laughs) been going on in my life. Uh, I moved into a new condo. That's if it's just that sort of thing. Is that art? Is that a movie?
0: It's a direct address. That one. I mean, honestly, I don't know if I would say it's okay. So I guess there's the idea of like, there's art, Uh which is in my opinion, communication, I think in this is the very first conversation that I have in the classes that I teach, which is what is art uh-huh. and the definition that I put out there. But even then, like I'm, I'm just, I put it out there because we're not going to have the conversation in the class that you and I are having right now. So it's usually like uh communication through style and technique. Mm-hmm. So, with a, with a vlog, the communication is definitely there. Not sure about style and technique. Okay. You know, I mean, in along those lines, a, I mean, uh, a sermon is not, in my opinion, a work of art. Just the desire to communicate, okay. and there's a performative quality to a sermon, and so someone could say, oh, that's a work of art, but I don't think it actually is maybe in the broadest possible sense, but I don't think it is. I think it's just genuinely, I don't know if I, I I find myself wondering if like a vlogger feels particularly passionate about that medium or if it's simply a means to an end. And I don't know. It's, uh, um, it's, it's both invigorating and, uh, insanity inducing for me to like start thinking in these terms. Yeah. Well,
1: here's one that will, that's been uh uh cooking my noodle uh, which i think is a line from the matrix right uh that sounds right yeah um yeah she says don't worry about the vase and then he breaks yeah. the vase and then she's like what well, a really cook your noodle is would you have broken it if i hadn't said anything yeah um <laughs> uh, i really like that movie uh anyway so an interview a televised interview The R. Kelly interview that just aired, say, for instance, we wouldn't consider that a work of art, right? Right. But do you remember the movie Hitler's Secretary? Documentary Hitler's Secretary, which was an interview with Hitler's Secretary. Literally no embellishment, Mm -hmm. no recreations, no, there might have been a title card at some point. Mm -hmm. No flashbacks, no animation, literally just a shot of her telling stories. Mm Mm-hmm. The latter of those two we think of as a work of art. Yeah. But is that, are we only thinking about that as a work of art because it's being released as a movie, which we've already decided before him is a work of art? Whereas if the same exact interview were a history special television
0: or history channel television special, we wouldn't see it as a work of art. Oh, I think I would still see it as a work of art if it were that. But I think the difference between like the the R. Kelly which boy, I had no idea about it, but I was listening to a podcast, which then played a portion of it. I, I mean, get me wrong. I find it very difficult to feel bad for R. Kelly. But in that moment, like he certainly, I'll say this. If you, he certainly sounds like an innocent person trying desperately to convince you that they are in fact, innocent. Um, Hmm. I don't know. I I don't know the story one way or the other. But I just, I it was, it's nuts. Um, but anyway, I don't know very that, much about the story either. But uh, yeah. I know
1: there. I know the. It's been at this point one fifteen years since we first learned like the video of him. Yeah. Like I feel like, uh, I, I I don't I I don't feel like I'm on the fence about whether or not he's he, he's right. guilty. It, it, yeah.
0: It, Stands to reason, yes. Yeah. But if he's found not guilty, okay. Um, good for that jury, I guess. I guess. Um, for the jury. But, uh, not for the victims. But, right. Okay. Um, but uh, but I do think that, you know, I because I don't think journalism, which is what the R. Kelly interview is, it's literally, I'm going to interview this person not knowing at all how they're going to react, and then that happened, and it's like, okay, okay, all right. So uh, in that way it's a little bit like what we were talking about initially with like the sports game. The, the journalism is, uh, neutral. Like it could be a completely reasonable, boring interview, Mm -hmm. but then it became this other thing. It's, it's right now it could be, it's, there's the immediacy to it. Um, whereas like the Hitler secretary, it's, Hey, we know this thing has historical significance. So we are going to go out of our way to, sit this woman down and present it in this unadorned way, which is itself an artistic choice. Right. Um, Right.
1: But it's only an artistic choice because it's being framed as a movie and not as journalism.
0: Sure. But at the same time, like it's, I feel like anything that requires you to, like we didn't, I mean, I guess because R. Kelly is a celebrity and there are allegations against him. So of course there's natural, there's significance to that immediately, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily historical significance. It's not something we can all agree is genuinely significant in the way that hearing from the secretary of like the most hated person of the last, a mm-hmm. uh, hundred years like that's one that just, and it's not—it's something that doesn't necessarily fall into your lap. Like that R. Kelly interview, the way that it is now fell into that journalist's lap. Whereas this, like, it naturally has significance. Okay. Uh, the minute she opens her mouth, and it's not like, oh, hey, there's this woman uh, we were going to interview her because uh, you know she makes birdhouses. What <laughs> Hitler's secretary? <laughs> you know, it's not that. Like they knew that going in. Right. Okay. You know. There, There is, there is definitely, I'll say this, there was a lot, there was a very specific type of intentionality behind Hitler's secretary that wasn't necessarily there for the R. Kelly interview. At least no more than any other news story. That makes perfect sense, yeah. Um, okay, so my next question... By the way, that birdhouse thing would be just wonderful. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, my next question for you then is... All the ways we defined movies as art mm-hmm. also apply to television series. Yeah. So then why do we decide
0: that's not a movie? I think the idea of it being... I mean, cont- context makes a big difference. Well, okay, Let me. I've been talking too long. Do you have an opinion on that question? No, I'm throwing it out to you. I mean, I'm sure I could.
1: I, I can come up with one. Okay. But I'm trying to think about why is that just something we codified long enough ago that, that they are two different things? Like as far as what we're talking about, we know that movies and plays are two different things because mm-hmm. one of them is filmed and one of them isn't. Right. So what is the, what is the, uh, what is the wedge between movies and TV shows? Is it the serialization? And if it is, then how do you apply that to serialized Movies. And right. I don't just mean a movie and its sequels. Mm-hmm. I mean, movies like Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows part one and two. Yeah. Or going all the way back to, um, like Dini and you know, uh, sure. Fritz Fred did movies in two parts. Uh, Dr. Mabuza, the ga- gambler mm-hmm. is in, is in, is in two parts. Um, uh, and then of course there are things have changed where there are, in terms of silent films, I have the flicker alley Blu-ray of 1916's Sherlock Holmes, which is presented as one, two hour movie, Mm -hmm. but originally aired as in 12 parts when they did like serials before the main movie. Okay. Um, but now I can sit down and watch it as one movie. Yeah. Has that, was that a movie when it was a serialized thing because it was shown in movie theaters, because there weren't TV, there wasn't TV in 1916, um, was it a movie then? And if not, does it become a movie now? Because Flick Alley has presented it as a movie. And Was if, it shot all
0: as one It's all thing? one story. Okay.
1: Told in 12, uh, right. 10 to 12 installments. Uh, so it's
0: not as the... Do you know if they shot it like, okay, we'll shoot part one this week, part two this week, or did they shoot it like a movie and the the way we talk d- about I it? I don't know. Okay. I mean, yeah. I do think that... F- Putting aside,
1: uh, uh, you brought up a really great point there. What, which is the pace of production? Yeah, that, that TV shows are produced as, a, as standalone TV shows with different directors often. Right, but then you get things like True Detective season one, where it's all one director. Sure. Uh, Big Little Lies that's becoming uh, more common. Mr. Robot, I think, starting in season two. Mm-hmm did they do a third season Mr. Robot? I don't remember.
0: I don't know. I haven't um, seen any of it. I keep meaning to
1: Sam Asmell directed all of season two. I mm-hmm. think, uh, now Pam Adlon directs every better things episode. That's becoming more and more common, but it's still produced. Like the, yeah. when they're making it, they know what well, we're making this episode and then yeah. we're going to finish making this up epi- or at least shooting this episode. And then while they go off and edit this episode, we're going to start shooting the next episode. Right. Um, Whereas uh um Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows is was shot as uh
0: one thing and then divided up later. I would say that a miniseries and I, I'll I'll incorporate I'll I'll say that true detective is like that as well. Okay. A mini series is actually closer in my mind to a movie than, yeah. a, than a TV show is, I think because of the concept of finality. Yeah. The idea that we know that this has a very clear ending point. Um, sorry, what I'm about to say is true as a, you know, up to, let's say, 20 years ago. Because I do think, like, Harry Potter, the MCU, that kind of thing, has become so serialized that the concept of final- finality there... Ma- more so uh, more so stuff like the mcu which is like they all, they will always leave a door open so that they can just keep going and there's just an assumption that they will yeah it's ve- which is absolutely attitude towards a tv show um but with a with a mini series like there's an ending point there's often one per one creative voice maybe two behind the entire thing like a movie um and i do think that yeah with with tv with tv the way we've we traditionally understand it it could conceivably just keep going on and on and on which dictates the type of stories they're going to tell you know you've talked about with modern family which has been going what 11 years now
1: it's on its 10th it's 11th be it's final
0: yeah so that's been going on 10 years and you yourself say that they just keep having to reset, even though yeah. life has gone on, and yet it still feels the same. And that's because there's no real sense of finality. They need to find new ways to do the same thing over and over. Right. Because that, Whereas a film like we'll just talk about a standalone two hour movie and like, all right, we need to, we, we have an end point. We cannot, we don't know if we're going to get a chance to make another one. So we're just going to end it here. And then maybe there's a sequel. It's like, all right, we have to find a way to make that work. But I think the idea of having a very clear end, which will dictate everything that you do up to that point. Okay. So Uh, a mini series can be a movie. I'd say it's closer to a movie but
1: than an extended there series. There are things that hit the world as miniseries, but like Olivier is Carlos, sure. which is like five and a half hours, Yeah, uh, played festivals as a movie, mm-hmm. and then was like a three or four-part miniseries uh, on, I don't know, Sundance Channel, maybe? And then speaking of Sundance Channel, Top of the Lake is another one, Jane Campion's Top right. of the Lake, the first series at least played festivals with as like an all day, like a movie with an intermission. It was like okay, right. five or six hours or whatever. And then became a TV series and then got a second season as a TV series. Like, Oh, a sequel. So it was a mini series. That was a movie that then retroactively became a TV series because they gave it a
0: second season. Wow. Let me, get my, let me get my flow chart. <laughs> um, yeah, and I mean, O.J. Made in America is, is right. a, a documentary series that was still per, put out as one movie, and I think it won the Oscar for documentary, yeah, and, and if you, which they then immediately changed the rules because they're like, this is ridiculous.
1: But if you count festival premieres as the real premieres, it, yeah. I'm pretty sure O.J. Made in America premiered as one movie yeah although it was
0: made knowing that it was going to air on espn parts right and just and there was a movie a few years ago that i actually didn't care that much about that was oh right mysteries of lisbon that's right which was uh a mini series first and they cut it down into a mere four hour yeah <laughs> uh, um which to me is like this needs to be shorter or longer oh it was longer yeah i can tell <laughs> yeah um which is weird that like at four hours, like I want more from this, yeah, not that not that i not that like, oh no, I want more, it's like I need more, sure, uh so that you know that's the other thing is cutting stuff down into into a movie I mean even four hours isn't strictly like a movie length when people think about it, but a manageable length with a certain degree of finality. But they did that from a mini series once again, knowing that it was going to end and where it was going to end and that kind of thing. So I do think that, you know, I mean, think about something like Watchmen when the movie came out. So many people said this needs to be a mini series. They didn't say this needs to be a series. Right. An ongoing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I do think those actually probably have a more in common narratively, than a movie and just an ongoing series.
1: Yeah. And so I think, I mean, uh, obviously letterboxd is not the final authority, but letterboxd tends to include miniseries as like, you can count it as like Mm. a movie, Okay, but letterboxd also, and I think these are user, I'm not sure how things get added to letterboxd. It might be like a open source type thing Mm -hmm. because I know a lot of people, do you remember a few months ago (laughs) When Kevin Spacey released that YouTube video of him in character, yeah, and, and people added it that. added it to letterbox, yeah, um but I mean that's I guess he is doing some acting, so it's not like a straightforward like address yeah um but uh anyway i i i'm I'm not going to start adding t v miniseries to my top ten lists, no. Because I honestly think I haven't even some of the best ones are usually not as good as the best movies of the year. Carlos was up there. Carlos was really good. Um, But uh, I do maybe start to think if it is one director, but even then, because there are movies that have multiple directors, even, yeah. uh, I mean, there's like anthology films. Yeah. Like, I mean, obviously the movies like Captain Marvel that have, a directing sure. team or whatever. But then there are anthology films that like is New York stories. Two. Uh, New York stories is, yeah, there's a million of them. Lumiere and company. Mm. Uh, what else to each his own cinema. There's a million horror, uh, ones. Yeah, Paris, uh, one. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then the, that was part of the series because there's also a New York, I love you. And there's and a, a Berlin, Berlin one. Yeah, there's Berlin. Yeah. Did that already come out? The Berlin one? I think so. Okay. Um, uh, I should see that one. You know, how I love, I'm I'm the guy who's been to Berlin once and is now yeah. an expert in the city. It's like, oh, I wonder if it featured any of my old
0: haunts. <laughs> it's like, oh, my old stomping grounds, that huge tourist trap. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, I do think that. Um, I mean, it's it's it, everything has become so blurred, and I don't. Again, I don't say that in a, in a negative way, but I mean, it used to be well movies start in the theater tv starts on tv movies can then move into tv but they retain what they what Mm -hmm. they were except i guess now they're commercials but when i say now i mean like in the 60s um and so but it's like they both start you know they have their definite place of origin right well that's not true anymore uh movies can be on your tv they can be on your phone there are tv shows that they certainly don't Originate here, But there are TV shows that are shown in theaters sometimes, like as an event. Um, but
1: yeah, it's become increasingly common at, at film festivals like Sundance and South By and yeah. LA Film Fest used to do an uh, RAPLA Film Fest to premiere an upcoming series to show the first mm. episode or two as a, as a uh, an event at a film festival.
0: Yeah. And it's and it, you even mentioned like Top of the Lake. they just like, oh, this is going to be an event. And we're going to treat it as though it were a movie, uh, but then so like that's one way that thing that things are being blurred. But then also, you have, I guess this isn't totally new, but I feel like in the last twenty to twenty five years, like the showrunner as auteur. You know, like when we talk about Deadwood, we talk about David Milch. Mm-hmm. He didn't direct every episode. He wasn't the credited writer on every episode, but that's his show. You know, and same with uh, oh my gosh, I can't for, I can't remember Sopranos. Uh, the other David, the other uh, David, David, Chase, David Chase, David Chase. Thank you. And there's also um, David Simon uh, who did The Wire. The Wire. and it oh, exhausting. Tremay and the Deuce. Yeah, yeah. And there's like. Terrence winter, like essentially created by yeah. that's your auteur.
1: Yeah. But I mean, that goes yeah. back further because you've got like Aaron spelling and Stephen Bochco, you know, that's uh, true. But I, yeah, but I feel like
0: they, style. they tend to set the style and the tone, but not necessarily the, like, like Mills like dictated the story. Right. Yeah. I see you what know. you're saying. Um, like they so where's
1: Joss Whedon then? Like, is he a, a bridge
0: between the two maybe. styles? Okay. Maybe. Yeah. You would know more than I would about right. him. But um, but that's the thing. Is, so, like, you've got now TV shows have auteurs and now movies are serialized. And uh, also uh, increasingly, I mean,
1: I, 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 the MCU is such an easy whiffing boy, punching bag for this sort of thing, yeah. but is... it? is Kevin Feige or
0: whatever? Is he the auteur of the MCU? He kind of is, honestly. Um, I mean, of course within each movie you will find certain things like Thor Ragnarok definitely doesn't feel like the other Thor movies, Mm -hmm. but it does have a certain sensibility that is unique to Taika Waititi. Um, yeah. And so like there's still within that there's like auteurs within auteurs. Um, but But I I will say the Uh, the MCU, like it's a good uh, example of things uh, I guess positive and negative but it's just it's such uh, with the with the possible exception of like the universal monsters but even then they yeah. would cast different people but like it's such a unique concept these days I find it do you remember even when it's not working I find it interesting I want to say it was Jennifer Kent
1: okay Babadook yeah who talked about being approached by Marvel yes and I think this is her story. I could be conflating her with another director. She
0: approached to Jack Captain Marvel.
1: Okay, and I think, but I'm saying this could have been another story, but I remember for some reason I remember definitely being a woman director, even though that's not the point of the story. That's just why I remember remember it. Uh, And basically her saying to Marvel, like, I don't know that I know what to do in making an action movie. It's not really the kind Mm -hmm. of movie I I make. And Marvel was like, oh, no, we'll, we'll handle that part for you. <laughs> right. Doesn't that like upset you? And I thought about it a lot while watching Captain yeah. Marvel, which is a movie made by directors who aren't yeah. known for,
0: for action. Yeah. But along those lines, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not necessarily saying it's the exact same thing. Cause in one case it's a studio mentality. In the other case, it's a showrunner. But like, imagine if you're, if you've been tapped to write an episode to go back to Deadwood and you're like, I feel like I'm, I just, I feel like I couldn't even begin to give voice to these characters. And David Mills is like, we'll handle that. Don't worry. Like, right. I feel like it's a very similar yeah. attitude. Yeah. Um, and I do think that, and Kevin Feige is, uh, at the, at the heart of it all. And honestly, I think one of the reasons that the MCU has worked so well versus, and when I say it worked well, I mean from a narrative standpoint, not necessarily from one film to the next. But as a narrative concept, I think it's worked so well precisely because there is one person at the very core mm-hmm. of it. Whereas DC never really had that. Like Zack Snyder kind of set the tone and things kind of diverted back to him, but he never quite had the power that Kevin Feige did.
1: But Kevin Feige, we're way off topic, but Kevin Feige sort of like increased his role over time because it, yeah. initially it was like, Oh, John Favreau will be the oh, sort of creative really said, director. Yeah. And, and even though he only directed two of them, he's like a producer. Mm-hmm. And then it kind of went to like, Oh no, well now Joss Whedon will be that, you know, cause he yeah. did too, but he was also, uh, you know, sort of consulted on things. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, as those things fell away, I think Kevin Feige sort of found himself stepping into that, Probably, yeah. into that role. And yeah, I guess no one's done that for, 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 for DC, but, um, they never got the, the they never got the bike moving fast enough for someone to jump on it i guess (laughs) yeah
0: um just keeps we're off topic from one to did you have anything else about this topic well i was gonna ask you okay so you've asked a lot of questions and i've given my version of answers so looking at what we've just said let me ask you Uh uh-huh hey david yeah what's a movie (laughs) uh i'm not gonna let us bp our way out of this okay we're gonna come to a conclusion it's filmed something that's filmed okay
1: um, or shot Or shot yeah. yeah you know what i mean uh yeah re- visual recording mm-hmm. um that's that's key that yeah. separates movies from things yeah. like moving pictures yeah it's not paintings mm-hmm. or poems or plays or like a bowl of soup is not a movie. <laughs> right. <laughs> like,
0: uh, okay. It has to be. Unless you are juxtaposing <laughs> it with a guy who looks very hungry, but also could be lustful or mournful. So I, uh, that's definitely a big basis. That's the nerdiest so joke like I've ever made. The,
1: the, um, the real question here is not what is a movie. Cause like I said, it's filmed. That's what a movie is. Mm-hmm. But then what things that are filmed are not movies. Okay. So, what chips away at it? I feel like you're definitely on something with production. If something is produced in chunks with the intention of being seen in those chunks, mm-hmm. that's a
0: television series, right? And then there has to be kind of a sort of a single unit. It could be, it could potentially be a single season of television, but it's all right. meant to be seen as one thing, right? Or okay, one but then shooting it as
1: one, yeah. Um, because I mean then is is every season of Game of Thrones but Game of Thrones at least has different directors per episode was is, is right. something but they shoot that shit because they're all over the world they shoot that shit yeah. concurrently um uh anyway
0: what was I what was okay, I was sorry I interrupted you, you but just-
1: I I don't have a but then the other thing is about I think what you were talking about intent or purpose mm-hmm. you know so a uh a, a, a vlog I feel like an old man do people even say vlog anymore I don't know uh, a vlog or a telecast mm-hmm. is not a movie just like because it's either a journalistic or a diary yeah which is just a kind of it's pure personal personal journalism, communication, i communication without yeah.
0: any style really at all the yeah. video is simply a means of conveyance. Right.
1: Yes. So it's utilizing, it's not just filmed. it's utilizing film or video, you know, whatever mm-hmm. um, that sort of apparatus of capturing to create emotion.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's that, that works for me. I will, yeah. I will also go back to, as you were talking about purpose, I do think that having a very specific end point both as far as production but also as far as right when i say narrative i don't i mean not every film is narrative driven but there's an end point to what is happening um there is again that sense of finality ideally um and so yeah it's i mean as we talk about this i like to think that we haven't been like old fuddy-duddies and been tried trying to like um, discount things. I feel like we've been trying to incorporate things as much as possible while also still trying to be true to the idea of what a movie is, but being flexible to what it could be. Um, especially these days as there's so much cross pollination between TV and film. Um, yeah, even, even more so this, this has nothing to do with the definition of it, but like when, you know, J- uh, friend of the show, Jason Egan and I have talked in the past, uh, about how there was a time when, if a film actor starts doing TV, oh boy, that is an indication that he is on his way out. Yeah. But now it is extremely common.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So common that it's almost not even. Uh, it's not even worth noting anymore. Uh, yeah. But I remember driving to work and seeing bill billboards for damages featuring Glenn Close yeah and think not feeling like oh how far she's fallen but thinking wow things are changing Glenn Close yeah. is doing TV things it was a novelty
0: yeah yeah um and yeah. Uh, I mean I, I remember when I saw like 30 Rock uh it's like okay well we've got all these TV people that have done movies a little bit here and there And then here's Alec Baldwin, who at that point is an Oscar nominee. He was a movie star. And I did have a feeling it was a combination of two things. One is like, oh, he's really elevating 30 Rock. His presence is elevating 30 Rock. But also it's like, I feel like he wouldn't have done this a few years ago. You know, like I felt as though. But then what's interesting is this show then rejuvenated his career not that it was on the decline or anything but like it definitely gave people made people look at him a different way uh or made them look at him uh you know give him a second glance and then he started being in more movies as a result and so it's just kind of yeah so i guess that uh, not from an artistic definition but the idea of that blurs the lines now people from an as far as the artists themselves, like who might have stuck to one or the other, now they they cross that very easily, which I don't think would have been possible if those lines had not been blurred from a serialization standpoint, a production standpoint, and that kind of thing. Okay. Well the last thing
1: I'm gonna say, which is off topic, but you okay. reminded me of a movie I can't wait to see. Hopefully okay. it'll come here. Uh have you heard of a Russian movie that just premiered a couple of months ago okay. called DAO DAU? Mm, no. So, you, I don't know. You might have heard of this years ago. Okay. Uh, when it was in production, because this movie went into production in 2006. Okay. And stayed in production for years. Mm-hmm. It was
0: very much a. Is now Russian for boyhood? No. It's, okay.
1: Th- it's more of a Synecdoche, New York type of thing where the guy had built. Uh-huh. It, so, it's a. it the movie takes place in the 1950s and the guy had basically built an entire world and people would just like. Sh- like there were. Literally hundreds of thousands of extras who would just show up every day, get into costume and do what they were supposed to do, not knowing if they were going to be filmed or not. The movie has finally been finished. I think it was originally supposed to be finished in t- like 2012 because it started in mm-hmm. 2006. It's finally been finished. It's five and a half hours long and it uh, has only just uh, it played in uh, uh, Paris and in France and in Russia. is the only place that it's
0: been released so far. I can't wait to see it. That sounds... Absolutely well, I mean it could be absolutely horrendous, but it just nonetheless it's fascinating.
1: But it's yeah, it's directed by a guy named um uh Ilya Kurzhanovsky, I could be saying that wrong, who made a movie called Four, just the number four um, which is quite good and
0: uh, incredibly unpleasant. Um, but that one's only a little over two hours long. Now, incidentally, uh, this conversation has put me in mind of uh, the show Bojack Horseman is kind of hit and miss with me. When it hits, I mean, it is amazing. When it misses, sometimes like the humor is a little bit too broad, or sometimes the they're trying way too hard on the politics and they're not actually being true to the characters as a result. Okay. But uh, there is this one sort of a, a a B, maybe even a C story that happens over the course of a couple episodes where, uh, a, uh, a Tarantino type who I believe is a talking tarantula. So it's like Quentin Tarantulino or something like that, which is dumb, but I kind of like it. Uh, so he's directing a movie, but as he and the Todd character played by Aaron Paul, Uh um, as they start talking about what this is, what is a movie? And they start like, recontextualizing and they think like well maybe it maybe this movie is more of like a tv show or maybe it's more this and so they just start deconstructing it and redefining what it is as a movie until they finally boil it down to a its purest form which is like a gift basket
1: <laughs> like this is
0: the, this is our movie
1: <laughs> um you just made me think of something else and then we've really got to wrap okay. up do you remember the animated casper tv series like from when. When we were
0: kids. Okay, yeah. It was after
1: the live action movie came oh, okay, out. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, because every live action movie that was even a little aimed at kids had an. There was animated Beetlejuice, animated Bill and Ted, animated uh, Karate Kid, I think, right?
0: Yeah. Uh, Ace Ventura and The Mask and Dumb and
1: Dumb. Right. Robocop. Robocop. Rob- what was it called? Alpha, Alpha Commando? Robocop, I think Alpha so, Commando? Yeah.
0: Something like that. Yeah. Uh, and, then you watch, and then as a kid, you watch the movie. It's like, why is that man Milton?
1: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I have this memory. <laughs> I don't know why it stuck out to me. I think because it was just... I was old enough... I was too old to be watching the show. The Casper show wasn't something Mm -hmm. I watched. Because I was old enough to get Pulp Fiction references, obviously. Because I was, what, 11? Yeah. I guess I would have turned 12. It came out in the summer, though, right? Pulp Fiction? Yeah. So I was 11 when Pulp Fiction came out. So probably too old to be watching Casper. We had younger siblings. Uh, Yeah, that's probably why I saw it. Yeah, that's it. Um, No. uh, And they did an episode where a director was... Um, filming a movie in the house, the haunted the house that Casper mm-hmm. haunted, and his the character's name was Taron Quintino. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that so distinctly yeah. because I, I, even at eleven year old, eleven years old, I was like, "It's kind of lazy," um, <laughs> but also even eleven years old, I understood the joke of the episode was because Pulp Fiction takes place in non is out of chronological order. Mm-hmm. So the joke kept being that he was shooting things out of chronological order, but even at eleven years old I knew, no that's how they make movies. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. All uh, right. So yeah, let's leave uh, it at that. The
0: Casper cartoon. Yeah.
1: And keep your eyes peeled for Dow DAU. I that sound, really can't wait. that. Sounds you gotta read. Like um, so I had to look it up, uh, because I first learned this from a, uh, a newspaper article, newspaper a magazine article in GQ, probably in like 2010 or so. And the name of the article is the movie set that ate itself. Definitely. It's on,
0: it's online. You can read, read that article. It's really It sounds fascinating. like the film will be interesting. The inevitable documentary. <laughs> right. It will be so much um, more interesting
1: anyway so uh you can find us at battleship pretension.com you can email us at david at battleship pretension.com or tyler at battleship pret- pret- pretension.com i'm on twitter at davy pretension also right now on the website uh which i navigated away from to find that gq article so i don't know what i was gonna say was on the website Uh, you've got uh, well Jim uh, at I do movies badly is taking a month off from doing new episodes but is reposting some old favorites with new intros so you can hear him talk about Guillermo del Toro uh, this week and probably some other stuff but uh, I can't uh, well I reviewed a bunch of movies uh, I've got reviews of three faces
0: Gloria Bell
1: Captain Marvel and Babylon Mm -hmm. um, uh, up this week all sorts of great stuff over at battleshippretention.com. dot uh, Tyler, you're on Twitter on Twitter at Tyler Pretension, mm-hmm. uh, and your
0: other podcast website is called More Than One Lesson. That's correct. And uh, right now, you can see my written review of uh, Captain Marvel. It is a long and meandering review because uh, I have a tendency to when I, do you, uh, I know that we need to end the episode, but i'm always fascinated to know other people's writing techniques uh and style okay um do you find yourself because you i feel like your captain marvel article was pretty short um not like short but it wasn't like super long it was pretty okay um and compared I don't know what to what you're implying I, here i'm just saying like you're kind of lazy um i no, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm i'm joking of course but it's every once in a while there'll be a movie and I feel like this happens more probably once uh, when I went to grad school Uh that like I apparently feel like I need to incorporate every thought that I've had about the movie into my review do you when you're writing a review do you find yourself being like like well the movie did put me in mind of this but that doesn't really fit with the in the flow of my review so you know what I'm just gonna not say that uh yeah probably yeah okay I probably should do that more Uh often, but as it is, uh, I guess when you go to grad school, you think that every fucking thought in your head is super important and people absolutely need to read it. Um, okay. So that's about more than the lesson.
1: Uh, thank you for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye.